Hi, this is Patricia. And this is Christina. And this is What They're Worth, a podcast exposing the truth of everyday people who are willing to enter the beautiful mess of foster care and adoption. We're glad you're here. (laughs) Hello, everybody. Welcome back to What They're Worth. This is episode five. We are back with another awesome guest. Her name is Telly, and she is a mom of six going on seven in probably about a month, right? Somewhere thereabouts. Telly has a super cool story to share with us today, hence why we brought her on. But before we begin, we'll let her introduce herself a little bit. So tell us what you do for work, what you do for fun, what you do for hobbies. I know what are hobbies with that many kids, but tell us a little (laughs) bit about yourself. Um, I'm Telly, uh, often referred to as Chantel in my proper noun form. Um, and I am married to John. We've been married for just over 10 years now. We have two biological children who are four and two, and we adopted four children from a sibling group, so they are biologically related to each other, um, who are currently aged, it takes me a minute to think about it, seven, nope, see, and I got it wrong, eight, seven, five, and four. Well, after March, we'll be eight, six, seven, five, four, three. And that is the easier time of year to remember everything. Um, (laughs) And as Christina mentioned, we have one on the way who's due in about a month, which was not planned, at least by us. We know we all bow to a higher power's plans. So we are getting ready to add the seventh dwarf into our crazy (laughs) bunch. I Um, I am a teacher by trade, so on top of all the momming that I do, I also teach first grade to 24 hooligans and uh, come home and then make dinner and do homework and make lunches for the next day and then clean up and do laundry and then do it all again the next day. So hobbies, when I can have them, uh, include uh, cleaning, wiping snot, (laughs) uh, walking the dog. Uh, Occasionally, I like to craft. I'm a pretty good crafter. Uh, If you see it on Pinterest, I can probably whip it up. I sew sometimes. Uh, My husband and I enjoy a lot of games, board games, mind games, um, escape rooms. Those are the things we have fun with. Um, And we have a dog and a cat. Um, which is why if you saw me, you'd see me covered in dog hair most of the time. That's the best way to identify me in a crowd. Um, and I think I answered all the questions. How did you end up getting to the decision to do four at a time? How did you, how, well, first of all, how did you and John come to wanting to adopt? And then what led you to decide four was the path you were going to go? I remember, um, when you first told me that you guys were interested in adoption, Well, we were interested in in adoption for a very long time. Um, I wanted to do it as a kid. And um, when I met John, we can't decide exactly when we discussed it, but I'm pretty sure it was in premarital counseling that that was just both, we both had that as a desire for our lives at some point. And I got in my head that it was going to be after two kids. And (laughs) he missed that mutual boat, apparently. Um, So we had two biological children, and I was ready from the second that my little daughter Adelaide was born to start the adoption process. I was, I remember being in the hospital holding her (laughs) on my chest and saying, okay, can we start now? Can we start now? And I, I, as a good wife who knows and loves my husband well after all these years, I did keep that as an inside voice for at least two months. (laughs) 
after Adelaide came home. Um, but there was a local adoption event. It was more of a, uh, like a panel and a meet and greet. And I convinced him very, I had to do a lot of work to convince him to go to it. Not because we knew we were ready to adopt, but just so that we could start knowing how we needed to prepare. And at that point, my husband was, I would say, underemployed, and he did not feel comfortable about our financial situation, and he thought we would have to have all these ducks in a row, financially speaking, our house, everything, before you can adopt. Mm-hmm. Um, and misconception number one, you don't. Uh, I don't know that you ever have your ducks in a row enough. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> but uh, you don't have to have the most stable footing. You don't have to have the dream job that pays for everything before you can start getting involved and thinking about it or even going ahead and doing it. So we went to this conference and we were kind of wandering around and some perceptive soul saw us clueless as we were wandering (laughs) and made us start talking to this other family who had adopted also four kids, although we assumed they were crazy at the time. (laughs) And the biggest thing that they told us that really changed our perception was that kids who come from foster care usually come with a monthly stipend even after the adoption happens that helps you pay for their needs and they come with in most cases Medicaid to cover their medical expenses and that kind of got John's wheels turning that we could look into this sooner than we thought. The other turning point was there was an agency present at the fair, the one that the couple we were talking to went with, that works really hard to cover most of your legal expenses. So another misconception that you might have is that you have to pay a lot of legal fees and Mm -hmm. lawyers and all that, and there are a lot of grants, a lot of agencies out there that if you know how to work it, will pay for or reimburse your expenses. If you are a state employee, if you work for a larger corporation, most of them have adoption subsidy programs. So check that out if you are on the fence about it and see what you can get. Um, as a state employee, uh, the credit for me was about, I think, up to five dollars or $10,000, depending on the kind of child that you adopt. So even if your fees aren't covered up front, they might be covered or reimbursed to you afterward. So we talked to these people and it made us start thinking, and that was in March, February, March of, a, <clears throat> of that year. In November, after I had been sitting in antsy for such a long time, mm-hmm. we finally got to meet up again with that same couple, and they went deeper into how the process had worked for them, how affordable it had been going through the agency that we went through. And again, not that adoption itself is easy, but you can find channels that cut down some of the barriers. Um, One thing that we were looking for specifically was we didn't feel comfortable with foster care at our point in life, having two small kids, having full-time-ish jobs, that foster care and the transience of it was not right for us at that point in time. Mm -hmm. So the agency Mm -hmm. that this couple went through and that we were now looking into works with kids that have already had their parental rights terminated. There's no chance they're going to go back to mom and dad. And the process with this particular agency is that once the kids come home with you, they are on track to be adopted by you. There's no question. There's no other committee. All that stuff happens before they come to you. So it seemed for people who had 
didn't have the option of foster care, that this was the easiest pathway to know that the kids that you're getting, you get. You get to adopt. And that was very reassuring to us that we wouldn't have a lot of back and forth. So yeah, I don't think a lot of people realize that there's options. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people have stereotypes or they've heard one type of story. And so they kind of assume that everything is just that one way, you know, that it has to be expensive or that you don't have any say in the matter or, you know, there's no way I can help a child unless I'm going to have them in and out. And that's what we've been talking about like a lot on the podcast is just trying to expose that you can really craft the situation to a degree mm-hmm. um, to what you feel comfortable with. And then, of course, as I'm sure you're going to talk about, there's so much that you can't control, which you have to be ready for. But I think that's really important for people to know. There's a lot of agencies out there um, that are doing a lot of cool and awesome things and that have a lot of options for support. Um, you know, we both are going through just the local DSS, whatever it might be called, Child Services Agency. But there are private agencies who do very similar things and still have a lot of that financial backing. Yeah. Right. So a lot of private agencies are still working with the state. Um, Our agency doesn't work with our own state here in South Carolina for lots of fun reasons that I won't publicize. But they did have relationships with several other states that I don't know how they got them. I just... I assume everything my agency does is voodoo magic because they made the process so much simpler uh, when I compare it to what Christina and Patricia have gone through with DSS and how their home studies have gone. Our, everything that we did was much um, a much smoother ride. Awesome. So we, um, after we talked to that couple in November, we started the paperwork. Um, I think we had all the paperwork turned in by March. We had our home study done, and it was two visits from a very elderly little old gentleman who <laughs> just wanted to talk about chocolate cake. Nice. <laughs> it was no better topic. Uh, uh, it was it was very relaxed, and there's a part of me that might feel nervous. That like, are they are we sure they got the best picture of us? Do they know that we're really fit parents, or do we just make good cake? <laughs> but. They when they when I read the home study that they, that they put together about us, it was clear that they did know who we were. We were safe parents, and I think part of their mission at this particular agency, I'll do a plug for them. They're called Adoption Advocacy, based out of Greenville, and I recommend them very very highly. Um, they just want families to find kids and kids to find families, and they're interested in taking down any barrier that prevents a lot of people from getting to that point because they know what's most important is arms around a child and loving them. So we finished our paperwork in March. We began getting profiles of children within a month, I'd say. And for anybody going through the process, and you ladies might relate, it feels like forever. It would feel like forever in between getting an email of a profile. We would get this like one-page spread in our email that was a photo and a paragraph about a kid or a couple of kids, or we might get six pages of paperwork that was um, a form that was filled out about these kids. It really depended on the social worker and where it was coming from. And we would have to decide on the spot, yes or no, if we were interested in the profile that we received. Uh, We had set our parameters as looking for two, maybe three kids, (laughs) and... 
We wanted the ages of the kids to mix with or blend with our biological children. So we were thinking maybe no older than 10. Um, it's difficult to find a kid who's had their parental rights terminated that's very young. So there wasn't really a low end that we stopped at. We were okay with some disabilities, but as working adults, um, we had limitations on how much therapy or how many doctor's appointments we could take a child to. So we put these parameters in place. We filled out all of our forms, mm -hmm. and it's probably not just our agency that does this, but they just, I don't think they looked at those at all. They just <laughs> completely ignored it. They mm -hmm. sent us a teenage, they sent us teenagers, they sent us kids with very severe needs, they sent us all kinds. <laughs> Um, and How hard is it to say no, even though you knew what your parameters were? It was hard um, yeah. looking at some kids, especially the ones that had bigger needs, like uh, medical needs. Mm -hmm. But we knew that we just couldn't, we wouldn't do the right service to those children by giving them a pity vote. So we would look at profiles and we'd say yes or no. And it was hard at first, but from the agency's perspective, they just needed to know. Mm -hmm. they, they didn't um, begrudge us every time we sent back a no. They just moved like on. Like you didn't feel like they were like, oh, they no. won't say yes, ever. It's, it's not like some sort of match. They were sitting there as a matchmaker, right. and they were cultivating. They're just sending you. Cultivating anything. the very best. Like, I thought you would really love this family right. group, and then you say no, and they're disappointed. No, they're just, like I said, they sent us everything. Okay. So we had gone on for a while, and it felt like ages, but I'm pretty sure it was only two months. <laughs> <laughs> and... We hadn't said yes to anybody yet, and then there was one weekend when we said yes to two different family groups at the same time, and one was a group of four white kids, and another was a group of four Hispanic kids, and the ages were pretty right, uh, and the way the process worked with this agency, and it might work with others as well, is we said yes, and then possibly dozens of other families that the profile was sent to also said yes, and then it was up to the social worker to comb through the yeses pick a few families that seemed like good fits, and then a committee would get together to decide which family was the best fit. And when we looked at these two, two groups that we got, um, that we were sent, and they were, I would say they were probably the first ones that mixed with our ages, that um, didn't have any significant special needs that we felt we would have trouble accommodating. And so I think they were our first yeses. Um, and then we waited. And we got a call... A, maybe a month later about the family of four white kids. Well, I, I do need to back up because you asked about why did we decide on four? And it's like, we didn't decide on four. None of that was us. That was all God and his wisdom. Although <laughs> when I stuffed them all in the van, I questioned calling it wisdom. <laughs> it doesn't feel wise. <laughs> but we, we emailed back and we said, can we even say yes to a group of four? Because we only have a three-bedroom house, and that mathematically is a lot of children per room. Um, and they said, well, you can always put in for it. You can always say yes. And then it's the social worker's job to decide if that works or not. So we did. We put in yes for these two families. We heard back about a month later that we had gotten on the shortlist for the white family. They went through their committee and... Uh, we, were, we were chosen second. I think as, as a Christian going through this process, what was so reassuring is that there are so many factors out of your control that when it works, it must be God. Yes. It must. Amen. So true. It must be God saying it. So as much stress as we felt saying yes or no to any kid, 
or even going in the process, going through this process in the first place, we know that God's hand was in it because otherwise it would not have worked. Mm-hmm. So that was when people ask if we were stressed during that period. I really wasn't because I knew that God would do what He felt needed. We needed for the, for us and for the children. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Hispanic family that we said yes to, we didn't hear back for a long time. And we had kind of assumed that we just weren't picked in the final round for them. Uh, but like another month and a half or like eight years in dog years, as it seems like <laughs> you're waiting in the adoption yep. process when you're on that end of things. We heard back about this family and there was a lot of back and forth about, you know, we were white. How are we going to support them culturally? Mm. Uh, we had to, you know, beef up our financial statement, not lie, but we had to be more detailed about how we would provide for four mm. extra kids. We had to send layouts of our house to prove that we had the space. And we had planned a renovation to add an extra bedroom that was still very much in the planning stages at that point. But we had to be very honest about could we really accommodate these children. So more waiting went by and um, we were picked. And we couldn't believe it that they would trust two (laughs) white people with these Four Hispanic kids, um, and at this point, we knew so little about them. We had their ages and their names, and that they enjoyed riding bikes and playing outside, and that one of them could be a little bossy. But when I tell you that we, it, it was like very much like a blind date because we knew nothing. They, uh, the social workers, try to make their listings very generic. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. to make it easy to appeal to as many families as right. they can. And I don't begrudge them that. But it was, there was a lot to learn yet. So we said yes, and they sent us all the paperwork, and we went through binders and binders of information mm-hmm. about our children, trying to learn what we could. It was difficult, though, because so much of it was written in legalese, and then it was copied and pasted four times because there were four kids and they had to have the record on every single child. Short story is that our kids were abandoned at a babysitter's house. Mom ran off to Mexico. Dad was who knows where. Um, Most of them, we think, share the same biological father, but we don't know. Mom came back a while later trying to get her kids back, but by then DSS had already come to pick them up. They had been left almost naked, lice-ridden, filthy, most of them in diapers, because at that point they would have been four and under on a doorstep of somebody the mom kind of knew. Over the next year and a half, mom and dad would say they wanted the kids back but would never follow through, and then eventually rights were terminated. Mm -hmm. So this is what we figured out from the paperwork, and it's not a lot, and it, it does break my heart to not have the history that I wish I had on my kids to not know when they first walked, to not know when they went to school, to not know how they ate. I don't even have their medical records to know, you know, did somebody have a lot of ear infections when they were young? What are they biologically predisposed to? We have no idea. Uh, And that's an ongoing struggle. Mm -hmm. When you fill out paperwork at the doctor and it asks, you know, has your kid developed normally? I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, I can only tell you what I've observed over the last year. The kids have been home for a year. They came home last December, and if you can imagine how hard it might be to welcome four new kids into your house right before Christmas, 
double that, mm-hmm. and that's about what we went through. It wasn't easy. Did uh, you have a honeymoon? Uh, no. The oldest one wasn't used to getting all the food she wanted, so she engorged herself either the first or second night and was throwing up in bed the first or second night uh. because she didn't understand that she didn't have to eat so much to save her for however long. Yeah. And that was something eye-opening to me that I expect would have expected that if she had just come from her biological environment. Mm-hmm. But she had spent almost two years in a foster care environment, and as a foster mom, you would hope that they're loving and provide everything the child needs, and they're safe, and they don't let their child watch Chucky. Oh, but, Yeah, that was a fun conversation. But we we don't have a, any kind of relationship anymore with their foster mom who had them for almost two years. But we learned that that environment was maybe as bad, maybe not quite as bad, but um, not... Ideal. Not ideal, not the rescuing, loving, restorative environment that you would have hoped your child to receive while they were waiting for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was no honeymoon. Mm-hmm. I'd say within a couple of days we had been screamed at that you know we weren't her real mom and she wanted to go back to Texas, most of this referring to my oldest. She was almost seven at the time, and as the oldest, she had carried most of the weight of the transitions, of the trauma, Mm-hmm. Um, her social worker did tell us that she was the most like her mother in personality. So she, she had that. We, I, every night, I would say every night for the first month, we had put the, the other two girls to bed. Um, the three oldest girls share a room that they're siblings, and I think they've done that forever. But for most of that first month, we would have to take her out at bedtime because she had just gotten so emotionally overspent and now I can have the perspective that I can say she just couldn't process all of her emotions and it came out as kicking and screaming and trying to start fights on purpose part of it was probably blood sugar and hormone fluctuations because she hadn't gotten dinner at the right time and her she just couldn't handle her body did not know what was going on mm-hmm. but at the time it was biting and kicking and tantrums and it was every night every night we would have to sit her in the living room, let the other two girls go to sleep, let her calm down. Cleaning was very therapeutic for her. Well, go ahead. <laughs> um, and, and give her that one-on-one time, and then we could eventually send her to bed, too. Um, well, we were also learning that the, the youngest, uh, the son, who was three at the time, had developmental delays that were not mentioned anywhere in his paperwork. He could barely walk. He couldn't climb stairs. He couldn't feed himself. Uh, they told us that he was potty trained, and he, frankly, still isn't. Things that the, the social worker and the foster parents probably wanted to gloss over to make them seem more marketable and lovable to mm-hmm. adoptive families really just hurt us because it, we took so much longer getting used to and getting to know who they were. So we were dealing with mm-hmm. a lot of stuff at once. No, there was no honeymoon. So I, I just hit a little over a year with with mine and I know there's still like so much that's still it's hard not to feel overwhelmed mm-hmm. by how much you have to help them with because they do have extra challenges every mm-hmm. I mean childhood is challenging extra challenges <laughs> yes. so what have you seen like what has changed or gotten better 
in the past year? And maybe even some of that's <laughs> just with you and John. How have you adjusted? It, it's taken a while, and it's, it's been a lot slower, honestly, than I expected. And if you had told me last year that it wouldn't be until they'd already been home for a whole year that we would start to feel our rhythm, mm-hmm. I would have broken down and cried and given up. I think that's pretty normal. But a, a year mm-hmm. really is um, how much time I think it takes. And we're, we don't even have very severe problems. I'd say they're, con- compared to what I hear, they can be, it's pretty mild. Their kids are younger. I don't have to fight them physically anymore. We didn't have abuse, physical abuse or sexual abuse that we had to overcome. But uh, it still has taken this long just to get used to mm-hmm. each other, to learn each other's triggers. You really have to take the age that they say they are and mm-hmm. subtract it or divide it in half. Um, one of my daughters asks so many questions, and it she's seven now, and it just gets on my nerves. Like, how can you be seven years old and not know these things, not understand these? Why am I still answering these two-year-old type questions? And we're finding out now that it's probably partly a um, learning disability, but also if you think about what you did with a two-year-old, if you had a biological two-year-old and how many times you answered those questions Mm -hmm. and then remove that, all that learning that happened in that developmental why stage, Mm -hmm. these kids didn't have that. They didn't have somebody talking to them. And so she... They're trying to make up for it now, and it's mm-hmm. getting on my ever loving last nerve. <laughs> but I have yep. to, I have to remember that they're making up for so many years when they didn't have the loving adult yeah. to talk to them, to explain things to them, and that's when I calm down a little bit. But then we still do have um, <laughs> some quiet time. Sweetheart, three questions is enough. We need to. You can talk to other people, but you can't talk to me. <laughs> and and it's that's what you have to do as a mom. You just have you to really do have though, those boundaries. You know? Yeah, I that's something that I've been learning because I had to learn boundaries with my parents. You know, I didn't have the healthiest as a child relationship with my parents. I had to learn boundaries, and now that I'm a parent, I'm it's bringing up some of that stuff for me, and I'm like, oh, I'm now kind of struggling with boundaries as a parent to my kids. And I think that's so important, like being able to set your own emotional boundaries and then not feel like you're a bad mom, you know, or a bad Mm -hmm. parent because you have, um, you know, my boys have different things. Like they're very touchy or like very physical, but they're like bigger than me. And so they're kind of rough, you know? And I I worry sometimes that that's going to feel rejecting to them. To kind of say, I don't like that. I don't want to be touched on my face right now. You know, okay, you've kissed me enough times. Um, That's enough. Um, (laughs) And so, you know, I mean, I think that's like a part of when we come to our kids later, especially, and we bring all these, we know that we're kind of making up. But at the same time, we can't actually rewind the clock. And You know what I mean? So it's, it's this fine... We have to help them catch up, but we also can't go all the way back on every single thing, and we're still Because they need people. to envelop, develop their independence, too. Like, yeah, I want hard. to help you, but there are some points where you need to develop it yourself. Yeah. And something that we, we have done, I think, all along the way is we've been very 
open and honest with our interactions. And especially when I'm having a really tough time, I need to verbalize that to my children because if you thought that their language development was bad or their academic development had suffered, their emotional Mm -hmm. development is what has stunted the most. So telling them, I'm really frustrated because I've had a bad day and I would like some quiet time gives them the language and the license Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. say that, oh, I'm a person. I'm a person. And then they can turn around and they can say it. They'll say that somebody is aggravating them. They'll turn that language around. Um, and that's what they need to hear. And they need to see me taking care of myself in appropriate ways so that they know how to mm-hmm. take care of themselves. Yeah. So when my child realizes that she just needs a five-minute timeout, like when as she has started to figure that out for herself mm-hmm. and go to her room and do that self-initiatedly, which is a word now, <laughs> that is a success story. Yeah. yeah. And... and the language you used is great, too. I had a bad day. Mm-hmm. What I need or what I would mm-hmm. like, you know, and that's ooh, the inner therapist. I know. I'm getting a compliment out. from a therapist but about how I parent. those that's... I statements, mm-hmm. models to your kids that they're not responsible for the fact that you're having a bad day, right? It's not their fault that you're having a bad day, but you did have a bad day. And because of that, and now you're asking that they would respect that and be sensitive to that. So you're also teaching some perspective taking and empathy. We're hoping um, to. Sometimes yes. it works. Sometimes it doesn't. One of the things I'm proud of is that we talk about bio mom and we talk yeah. about foster mom. And I think that's that, in my opinion, is on the top list of things you have to be ready to talk about. Mm-hmm. For sure. Because if you just want to gloss over it and pretend it never happened or ignore all questions or conversations in that regard, you're going to do more damage to the children that you're trying to repair. What kind of questions have they asked? Because they're they're younger, so I'm I'm always kind of curious what... They don't ask many questions about it, um, but they do talk about it, and then I have to fill in some of their gaps. Mm -hmm. So when they talk about Biomom, they talk about things, and before they can get to saying anything negative or saying something that might bring up trauma that they don't understand, I try to fill in those gaps for them. I say that... Sometimes even with the oldest who has the most emotional struggle with it, I say some of the reasons that we discipline is you, you is because we want you to grow up to make good choices. The hardest thing for them to understand is why they couldn't stay with foster mom. Since I don't have a great relationship or any at all, foster mom really decided she didn't want any contact after we adopted. Really? And, huh. Which is contrary to what she said initially. So that really hurt, and I'm sure it hurt the kids. But Oof. the best hmm. we can do right now is to say, foster mom really wanted to adopt you or really wanted to take care of you, but it's really hard to take care of four kids for a long time. And she was older. She already had her own grown-up children. So it just wasn't something that she could do for a long time. But we're your forever family, and God put us here to take care of you forever. So we try to fill in some of those holes, and I give the kids absolutely as much understanding as I possibly can. I want them to have as many details. I'm a why kind of person. I have got to know the why behind everything. <laughs> Supervisors love me. Trust me. <laughs> um, so I want to give my kids as much honest information as I can. The specific details of how they were abandoned will come later when they're mature enough to handle it. Mm-hmm. But if they don't have anything from a trusted source like me to explain their past to them, then they're going to start making up their own things. Mm -hmm. And I don't want them to 
start with the negative or start with anything that was about them. Luckily, they're very young, so their questions are very juvenile. Mm-hmm. Their understanding can be limited to couldn't take good care of you. And as we get older, I'm sure that those questions will become more detailed. They will. But they we, will. We, luckily, we don't have to come up with those answers just yet. Right. Day by day. One day at a time. And really, it's only going to be the oldest two who were six and five when it all happened. Do they remember the most? They remember the most. Sometimes I think they make up stories just because they want to sound smart about what happened, even though you know they can't have a memory of that. What's the biggest thing that isn't what you expected? Oh, (laughs) that's that's a hard one. The, The time it took... To get to the place where we are, I thought a couple of months to get settled would be it. But no, here we are at a year, and today was a good day. But there are plenty of bad days, too. Mm-hmm. And to know that that's okay, mm-hmm. um, to know that just because you are at your wit's end does not mean that you're a bad mom. Right. In fact, it probably means that you're a better mom because you care about how well things go for your kids. And then, as you guys talked about back in episode three, that if you haven't listened to, you guys should go back and listen to the expectations Mm -hmm. of what I need to do, what they need to do, you know, that hot dogs and tacos are okay (laughs) for the first... We still (laughs) eat tacos once a week. I mean, I had such high expectations, like, you guys are going to eat grown-up food and Brussels sprouts and... I mean, I make some amazing Brussels sprouts, so my kids really do eat them. But <laughs> We need that recipe. <laughs> but it did not happen right away. That screen time wow. is better for your kids than you yelling at them. Yep. So <laughs> when you're considering zombified children on the screen or ones who are crying in their bed because you can't handle them anymore, go for the zombified children. It's just the better option. Get ready to explain your story a hundred times and get used. If I had a dollar for every time they say, how do you do it? Mm -hmm. Then I might actually be able to afford to do it. (laughs) How do you? Um, What's the key to keeping your sanity? uh, In a a big family like ours, the keys are systems. We have a system for everything. Mm -hmm. Today is Wednesday. That mean, that's the third day of the work week. That means it is the third child's day to pick TV time, to pray before the meal, to get to sit in the one little chair we have. By the way, we have a little chair at the table because our table's not big enough to sit all of our but regular they like chairs. The little chair. They like the little chair. Uh-huh. So they fought over it initially until we decided that we're going to have to have a system. So That is a teacher in you, Right? Really. Because it's Wednesday, that's the third child's day. Um, and then it rotates and everybody knows. And I think they mark time by how many days they've sat in the little chair. That's Aww. as young as they are. Um, we are color coded. And some people mm. might say, how can you refer to your color as a child? It, if it gets us through the day. So like their plates, their cups, their book bags That's smart. Yeah. are all color coded. Their towels. So when somebody's towel is left on the floor, I know exactly who to yell at. That's genius. <laughs> That yes. is genius. I need to do that. I only have two. I know. <laughs> when I somebody leaves their plate at the table and it's not finished, I know who to call. Now, since we have younger children, it has taken us a while for me to convince the youngest two that 
you are not synonymous with your color, and colors exist for other reasons than to just label children. <laughs> so when my youngest boy sees something blue, he says, that's my color. Yes, but what color is it? And he's finally learned his colors, and he knows that he's blue. But he will still refer to anything, my anything color. as my color, Scott's color, Adelaide's color, <laughs> Nikki's color. But that you know, I'll take that over the confusion, the other confusions. No, that's oh yeah, really that funny. is genius. Something else to plug to all foster adopted moms: you are doing more than you know. Um, the standard was very was set very low by wherever they came from. But to any mom, really, not just foster and adoptive moms, mm-hmm. you are doing a good job. You are loving your children. You are showing them a way to live, and they're going to grow up way more scarred then you're going to come out of this process. Like, I'm probably more scarred than they are. <laughs> um, so for anybody still listening, keep your head up. You're doing okay. And go put on some TV time and take a bath because <laughs> you deserve it. Thanks for coming to the closet. Yes, Happy I to think be here. a lot of what you said will be really encouraging to mm-hmm. prospective and current foster and adoptive moms. I know I was feeling encouraged too, so... Thank you for taking your time as a busy, busy mama and teacher and everything else, all the other roles that you play. I wear many hats. Yes. <laughs> many thank hats. you for coming into our club. <laughs>